I invite you to turn in the Word of God to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 1. You'll find that on page 1025 in the Pew Bibles, 1025. And I want to read the verses 1 through 17. Matthew 1, beginning at verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azur, and Azur the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. That's the reading of God's Word. At this time of year, our minds are invariably drawn to think together about the coming into this world of the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God who lived amongst uh, the Trinity, the Father and the Spirit uh, from all eternity, who had no beginning and who will have no end. This Lord Jesus Christ took him to himself, our human nature. He shared our flesh and blood, and He dwelt amongst us. And over the next number of weeks, Michael and I are going to be looking at the names that have been given to the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew's Gospel. This morning, I want to look at the son of Abram this evening, the son of David. Next Lord's Day morning, Michael will be looking at Emmanuel. Next Lord's Day evening, I will be looking at Jesus And then on Christmas Day, we're going to be looking at the angels 
and their celebration of the coming of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abram, Emmanuel, Jesus. But this morning, I want to draw your attention to the title given to our Lord at the beginning of this genealogy. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why is Jesus called the son of Abraham? Why does Matthew not do what Luke does and draw back the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ all the way back to Adam? Why is Matthew highlighting that Jesus is the son of Abraham rather than the son of Adam? I think to understand that is uh, it is necessary for us to go back in Scriptures to where we first encounter Abraham. And what we'll see is that Abraham was the source of blessing to the nations. You'll remember that in the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, we have universal history, that God is dealing with the whole world en masse in one large body. But then he changes tacks in Genesis 11. He begins to focus on one family out of all the nations of the world. And at the beginning of Genesis 12, we hear that the Lord says to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So there in Genesis 12, the Lord focuses his attention on one man. And from that one man, he's going to make a nation. And his whole intention in blessing the nation of Abraham throughout the Old Testament Scriptures was not simply for their sake. It's not that God had abandoned the world to their sin. It's not like God had created the world, saw them rebel, and gave them a second chance in Noah. And when that restart, that reboot, failed again, God does not forget His intentions to bring salvation to the nations. But what he does now is he begins to focus his attention on one nation in order that through that one nation, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so in that great covenant that God makes with Abram in Genesis 12, we read this. God's promise to Abram is that he will make of Abram a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And then here's the climax of this promise. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God hasn't abandoned the world. He hasn't forgotten about the nations. His desire is still to bring blessing to the nations, but he's going to do it now through this one nation through Abram and his offspring. And that promise is repeated to Abram in Genesis 18, verse 18, where the Lord says, Shall I hide from Abram what I am about to do regarding Sodom and Gomorrah, seeing that Abram will surely become a great nation and a mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? And then in Genesis 22, after Abram, offers up his son Isaac. We read there that God reiterates his promise, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. 
And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So God's design in choosing Abram is to bring blessing to all the nations. That's why he narrows his focus in Genesis 11 and 12 to Abram and his offspring. Not to forget about the nations, but in order to bless the nations. Well, if God narrowed his focus in Abram, he narrows it even more within the nation of Abram. So it's not just that all the Jews are going to be a blessing to all the nations. There's actually going to be one descendant of Abram who is going to bring blessing to the nations. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3. Remember how God said that he would bless Abram and his offspring. And here uh, Paul picks up on that, and he says, Now the promises were made to Abram and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So out of all the nations God has chosen, the nation of Abraham, and out of the nation of Abram, God has narrowed that down to one person, one of Abram's offspring, one of Abram's seed, is going to be the channel of blessing to all the families of the earth. And that one person is none other than Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham. It is through our Lord Jesus that blessing is going to come to the nations. Well, what is that blessing that is going to come to the nations? Well, as you read through the opening pages of Scripture, you'll know that the first words that God spoke to Adam and Eve were words of blessing. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And as you look at the relationship that Adam and Eve had with, with God in the garden, you know that it was a relationship of fellowship, of, of covenant love. God would come and walk in the garden with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And there was a, a friendship between Adam and Eve and their creator. God had looked at all that he had made on the sixth day, and behold, it was very good. There was happiness and harmony and unity and joy and and blessing in the garden. And all of that changed so radically when Adam and Eve refused to submit to the wisdom of God, trusted their own wisdom, gave in to the temptation of the evil one, and sinned against God. And at that moment, that relationship changed. It was Adam who ran from God because he was afraid. It was because of that sin, that that fellowship and communion with the triune God was ruined. And it's given its memorable description in that God banished Adam and Eve from the garden. And now there is curse upon the creation that God had made. And because Adam was not only acting for himself as a private individual, but because Adam was a public figure, a representative figure, all humanity descending from Adam, except our Lord Jesus Christ, all humanity except Christ, 
are now contained in that curse and now live alienated from God and in fear of him without that fellowship and communion and that confidence that we are his and he is ours. That's what sin had done. That's the ruin of sin. It had brought upon us curse. But in the great promise to Abraham, the curse is going to be reversed. Up to Genesis 12, there's five words that are used to speak of the curse, or or one word that's used five times, so that there's curses scattered throughout the first 11 chapters. And then in response to the five curses, in the promise to Abram, there are now five blessings. I will bless you and make you a blessing. And those who bless you, I will bless. And in you, all the families of the world will be blessed. So that in Jesus Christ, this curse that has come upon us because of sin is now going to be thrown away, destroyed, and blessing is going to come upon the people of God. Well, what is this blessing that comes through Jesus, the son of Abram? Well, Paul speaks about this again in Galatians 3 as he interacts with uh, the the, the Abrahamic covenant. And notice what it says there in, Genesis, in Galatians 3, verse 8. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abram, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So what is the blessing that God gives to the nations? Well, this is what it is. It is Justification. Now, that's a significant word we know throughout Scripture, and it has to do with our standing before God. Sin has made us guilty before God, and that guilt has alienated us from the presence of God. And now, in justification, God gives to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ takes the penalty that our sins deserve. So that you you really need to think of this as in a courtroom sense, that God is the judge and we are the defendants, and we have sinned against God, and so all that we can expect is the sentence of God's judgment coming upon us. And then into the courtroom comes the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Son of God, the Son of Abraham, and he speaks to the Father and he says, you know, all of their sins, all of their crimes, everything that makes them liable to your judgment I'll take responsibility for them. And the father says, do you understand what that means, my son? Do you realize that if you take responsibility for their sins, then you must pay the penalty for their sins? Yes, I understand that completely, he says. And I want to take all responsibility for their sins. And more than that, the son says, I want to give my perfect record. You know, father, that I've never sinned against you, that I've always done what you've wanted me to do. There's no shadow, no, no hint of impropriety in anything that I've ever done. And I want to give my perfect record to those guilty sinners. And the Father says, do you understand what that means? That means that all of these people who have sinned and rebelled, who have sought our destruction, who have clamored for your death, all of these people for whom you are offering yourself, they are going to be 
forgiven and accepted as righteous and perfect as if they had done no sin, all of their misdeeds will be completely forgotten. Do you realize that? He says, yes, I realize that. That's why I want to do that, because I love them so much. I want to take responsibility for their sins, and I want to give them my perfection so that they no longer come under your, justify, your just condemnation, and that instead you look at them and you say to them, you are guilty, you have sinned, but because of what my son will do for you and has done for you in his life and death, I declare you not guilty. And the thing is, is that Paul says this was the promise that God had given to Abram. This is the great reverse of the curse, that the nations would be justified before God. And it's not just that they would be justified. If you just turn over the page or look down to verse 14 in Galatians 3, you see again that the blessing of Abram that's going to come to the nations, to the Gentiles, is that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So it's not just justification, but it is the Holy Spirit as well, because it's the Spirit who, in the place of death, brings new life, because it is the Spirit who unites us to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Abram, and is by the work of the Spirit in our lives and the work of the Spirit in the life of our Lord Jesus that we are brought together as sinner and Savior so that the gift of the Spirit is nothing less than eternal life in all of its profound implications. That's the promise given to Abram, that through his offspring, the one, justification and the Holy Spirit would be given to the Gentiles. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. What a reversal, expecting condemnation, receiving justification, deserving death, and by the Spirit of the living God, receiving life. And all through the Son of Abram, the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul says so memorably in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon the tree. And our Lord Jesus did not have this sprung upon him so that when he came to earth, he, was thought, he thought that this was going to happen, and instead death and condemnation happened to him. No, from before the creation of the world, the Lord Jesus agreed to be your Savior, your Redeemer. And he came into our world, identified himself with us, not just in our humanity, but also in our sin. Knowing the full implications of what that would mean for him, he did that willingly because he loved us and he wanted to be our Savior. He was willing to be cursed so that we might be blessed. So to whom does this blessing come. 
Well, the Word of God tells us that it comes not to the best, but to the worst. And this is, this is right at the headwaters of the Jewish nation, because Abram, he wasn't a, an outstanding believer in God when God called him. No, we're, we're told that uh, Abram was worshiping idols when God called him to himself. So it wasn't the best, it was the worst, idolaters. And, and if you look at the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ that we have just read and you scan through it, you, you'll recognize that it doesn't come, the blessing doesn't come to the best. It comes to the worst. It comes to people like Jacob, who are deceivers, or, or Judah, who impregnated his daughter-in-law, Tamar, and Tamar got impregnated by her father-in-law through deceit. And then you come up to Rahab, who was a prostitute. And, um, and then you read about David, who was the father of Solomon, uh, by the wife of Uriah, and that whole sordid tale of the sin of David and Bathsheba is, is brought to the forefront here. And, and then there's uh, Manasseh, the king of Judah, who, who filled Jerusalem with the blood of the people and sacrificed his children to the gods. These are wicked people, and yet they share in the blessing of Abram. They have this privileged position of being a part of the, the family line of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you see this not just in the genealogy, but you see it throughout the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is at pains to show us that the blessing doesn't come to the deserving, it comes to the undeserving. And so we read about uh, how Jesus is accused of eating with tax collectors and sinners, with the undeserving. And in fact, Matthew himself, Matthew himself, the author of the gospel, he is a tax collector, and yet the Lord Jesus had, had mercy upon him. Jesus has mercy not on the deserving, but on the undeserving. Just, just think about how at the end of Matthew's gospel, this Barnabas, this wicked man, is set free because of Jesus. So condemnation goes to Jesus, though he deserves to be uh, set free. And, and blessing and freedom comes to Barnabas, who deserves to be condemned. It's a marvelous truth. The blessing doesn't come to the deserving. It comes to the undeserving. And the blessing doesn't come to the Jews only. It comes to the Gentiles as well. We saw that, of course, in, in the promise in Genesis 12, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. But we see it in Matthew's gospel, too. We see it in the genealogy, again. Rahab, she's uh, not one of Abram's descendants, and yet she's included in the church and in the family of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Ruth, she was a, a Moabitess, and yet she's welcomed in. And you see this emphasis on the nations in Matthew's gospel. Who in Matthew's gospel were the first worshipers of Christ? It's the wise men who came from the east. And as you go through Matthew's gospel, you see how, how Jesus has uh, great words to say about the centurion, the Roman centurion in Matthew 8. 
He talks about how uh, the Roman centurion will, will be in the kingdom of heaven. Many will come from the east and west and recline at table with Abram, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And then there are two men with demons from the Gadarenes, the Gentiles, and, and Jesus rescues them. And then in, 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 Genesis, uh, in Matthew 10, Jesus sends his 12 apostles and he says, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent of dove, as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles, so that the apostles were appointed to be the ambassadors of Christ, not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. And you see that again in Matthew's uh, gospel. For instance, in Matthew 15, there's this Canaanite woman, this Gentile dog, who receives blessing when the Lord Jesus heals her daughter instantly. Jesus has a concern uh, for the Gentiles. And you see this again at the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who were the ones who acknowledged that Jesus was the Son of God? The Jews had handed Jesus over to be crucified. And there Jesus hangs upon the cross, and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And then there was this earthquake, and the tombs were opened. And, and when the centurion and those who were with him, Gentiles, when they saw the earthquake, and what took place? They were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. It's the Gentiles who confess Jesus in Matthew's gospel, not just the Jews. And of course, at the end of the gospel, the Lord Jesus, to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given, sends his disciples to go to the nations in order to bring blessing to them, teach them, baptize them. And uh, lo, I am with you always to the end of the ages. So that the first worshipers of Christ were the Gentiles. And the commission at the end of the Gospel of Matthew goes to the apostles to send them to the Gentiles so that Christ might have his worshipers there. So it's not to the deserving, but to the undeserving, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. But, but we can even be more specific than that. It's not to all who are undeserving, nor to all who are Gentiles. Remember how the Jews prided themselves on their covenant relationship. We have Abram as our father. We are sons of Abram, they would say. And John the Baptist said, uh, you're a brood of vipers, actually. You ought not to trust in your connection to the covenant people of God. You should flee from the wrath to come, because uh, for all of your exalted status as the children of Abraham, you have rejected the Messiah, or you will reject the Messiah, and you will come under condemnation. And remember what Jesus said in Matthew 8, uh, surrounding the encounter he had with the centurion. 
He said, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abram, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. No, it's not all who have some status in the church and covenant people of God who will receive the blessing of the son of Abram. Not all, but some. Who? Well, Jesus says about the centurion that what was so striking about the centurion is that he had faith. Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And Paul says in Galatians 3 that those who have faith along with Abram will receive the blessing. So it's those who hear the words of Christ, those who abandon all self-righteousness, those who count all connections with the church as insufficient to bring blessing, all who know themselves to be undeserving, coming under the curse of God, and rightly so because of their sin, but who then look outside of themselves to Jesus Christ, the son of Abram, all who trust in the Lord Jesus will have the blessings of the son of Abram cascading over them. As Paul says in Ephesians 1, in Jesus Christ we have every spiritual blessing. So I ask you this morning, are are you under the curse still or are you under the blessing of the son of Abram through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? What a blessing it is to know the blessing of the son of Abram. Let us pray. Our gracious and ever-blessed God, our heavenly Father, we give thanks to you that you have not abandoned the world in their sin and uh, to its own destruction, but that you have had mercy upon us, that you have chosen Abram, and through Abram you have brought blessing to us all. We thank you that you spared your covenant people throughout the Old Testament scriptures, throughout that time period, and in the fullness of time, a son was born of a woman in order to bring us redemption so that we might call you our Father. Great and glorious is your name, O God, our Father. Thank you, O Lord Jesus, for your willingness to come and to take upon yourself our curse so that we might know the blessing of our gracious God. And we pray that you would refresh us so that we might know your goodness and mercy pursuing us all the days of our lives until we come to the fullness of our blessing when Jesus Christ returns in glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.